0: Welcome to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. We are a local church in East London, here to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton. And our mission is to worship God, make disciples, share Jesus and transform Hoxton. Good morning. We all like affirmation. We all like to be liked. When we've done something we want to to know that uh, it's been well received whether we've just made a meal um, for our family we've given a gift to uh, a friend or arranged a a surprise treat for a colleague or done a good deed it's nice to be thanked uh, and even better to be respected and trusted I can still remember um, all that long way ago back at school um, waiting with trepidation uh, for the teacher to hand back the the end of year uh, exam results. Although I have to say, that was generally a a pleasanter experience than standing on the sidelines of the football pitch whilst two of my peers, who'd been appointed team captains, was picking their teams, and invariably I was in the last two. And the question was a rather despondent, who wants Andrew? I can't say I was great at football, um, but those experiences didn't exactly build my confidence um, and encourage me to to try harder the apostles Jesus's chosen 12 must have been keen to know that they were doing okay we know a couple of them uh, James and John even wanted a guarantee that they would have the seats to the right and to the left of Jesus uh, in his glory in in heaven Uh, and that request as we know didn't go too well In the reading this morning from John's Gospel, which Jen has just read for us, we see Jesus praying for the apostles, and we get an insight into what Jesus thought about them, uh, and uh, what they would need, and also what Jesus thinks of us. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would would take these words of mine, that, Lord, you would carry them by your Spirit, that, Lord, you would give them life, that, Lord, you would give us life. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this prayer from John chapter 17 um, comes at the end of a a lengthy speech uh, by Jesus to the apostles at the Last Supper in in the upper room. The prayer is is often known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. As you may remember, in the letter of Hebrews, Jesus is called our great high priest. The writer says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So why is it described as a high priestly prayer? Well, the Jewish high priest was the one who every year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, went in to the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem where God's presence uh, appeared. It was the only time that anyone went in to the inner sanctum of the temple. And he did so to offer, as was required by the law, a sacrifice on behalf of the Jewish people to make an atonement for their sins, and to set the Jewish people right with God. And here, in this prayer, in John 17, we see Jesus preparing to offer himself as a sacrifice, a once and for all sacrifice, for the sins of the world. And he's also interceding for his disciples, in the same way as the high priest interceded for the Jewish nation. As I said, this prayer takes place at the end of a a lengthy speech by Jesus, which starts in chapter 13, as the Passover meal is being served. And Jesus begins to prepare the disciples for his departure, for his death and resurrection. And he gets up from the meal and he washes their feet as a symbol of the type of leadership they were to show. He gives them the great commandment, love one another as I have loved you. He tells his disciples that he is going to the Father, to the Father's house where he will prepare a room for them. And he promises that he will return and that he will send the Holy Spirit to be a counsellor, to teach them everything that they need to know. He tells them to abide in him as a branch lives on a vine, a promise of continuing connectedness with him. And as we heard from Graham last week, Jesus now calls the apostles, his disciples, friends, not servants. And he warns them that the world will hate them just as it has hated him. But he promises promises them joy and peace. And he tells them plainly that I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And so we come to John chapter 17 and to this prayer. So what does Jesus pray? Well, just before praying for the apostles and the disciples, he speaks directly to his father. He acknowledges that the time has come for him to be glorified through his death and resurrection. And that his mission was to grant eternal life. So what is this eternal life that he speaks of? He tells us, He tells us that it's knowing God as Father and Jesus Christ as the divine Son of God who was with the Father before the world began. It's much more than that, but that's what he says in this particular scripture. Now when we hear the word know or knowing, knowing the Father, knowing Jesus as the Son of God, we immediately think about head knowledge about understanding, a very scientific way of of looking at things. But for the Jewish people, the Jewish way of thinking, this concept of knowing was much, much broader. So for example, in Genesis chapter 4, it says, now the man, Adam, knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. Knowing here refers to the intimate act of sexual union. So it's about experience and relationship as much as it is about head knowledge. So when Jesus says eternal life is about knowing God as Father and Jesus as divine, whilst he means knowledge in the sense of understanding and accepting that, he also means a close and intimate relationship. And these are shocking and scandalous claims since the Jews understood God to be wholly other, separate, separate, and so holy that God's name could not even be spoken or written, and whose presence in the temple meant that only the high priest could go in to the inner sanctum, to the Holy of Holies, once a year. So, in that context, Jesus prays for the disciples in three specific ways. In verse 11, he prays, Holy Father, keep them through your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. Second, in verse 15, he prays, I pray not that you would take them from the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. And third, he prays in verse 17, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Now, you may be thinking, this is all very interesting. Um, But what has this got to do with me? Well, in the following section of of chapter 17, which Jen didn't read, Jesus prays, not for these only do I pray, but for those also who believe in me through their word. In other words, you and me, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, in me and I in you. And that is the heart of John's gospel. It's the reason he wrote this gospel. He tells us in chapter 20 that it's written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. John is focused on the the mission of the church to be God's agent in the redemption of the world and enabling people to experience this eternal life. So what do we learn about Jesus and God from uh, this prayer? First, we learn that Jesus has revealed God's name. From the beginning, Jesus' mission has been revelation. He is the Word, the one sent to reveal God to us. John's Gospel starts, doesn't it, in those wonderful words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then back at the Old Testament, at the burning bush, Moses wants to know who he's being sent to represent when he goes to Pharaoh. What's your name, he asks God. And God replies, I am who I am. And commands Moses to tell the Israelites, I am, has sent me to you. So it's no coincidence that here in John's Gospel, Jesus frequently uses this I am formula to identify himself. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. It indicates his claim to be divine. But now Jesus makes God's name under the new covenant known to the disciples, and that name is Father. Holy Father, Jesus says in verse 11. Righteous Father in verse 25. God is holy and righteous, an Old Testament understanding of the awesomeness of God. But now he is also Father, a God who is no longer remote and unattainable and one with whom we cannot have a a relationship. He's a God who will display the attributes of a kind, compassionate, loving Father, providing protection and nurture. Second, Jesus prays that God... Will protect the disciples and keep them from the evil one. He's preparing them for his departure and so he asks the father to take over the role that he's had of protecting the uh, disciples who are in the world but not of the world, belonging to the father but dwelling in a hostile land. Now, if I'd been praying, I'd have probably asked simply that the Father protect Jesus' disciples, but Jesus prays, keep them through your name. God's name, Father, represents his person and his character. Jesus is praying that the, the Father will help the disciples to maintain their godly character. And frankly, from what we read about them in the Gospels, They needed a pretty good injection of that. But what I find so beautiful about this prayer is the great respect with which Jesus speaks about his disciples. It's as if they were a a treasure which the Father has given him. But the disciples were not outstanding uh, in any particular way. They were pretty slow on the uptake. They got excited about the wrong things, They were often self seeking, like James and John, and often naively enthusiastic, like Peter. The disciples may not yet understand why Jesus has to die, and they have little idea that God is going to raise him to life. But what they have done is acknowledge that Jesus has been sent by God and that he speaks God's words. In the previous chapter, The disciples are reported as saying now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you come from God. Now it would be stretching things to say that prior to the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost the disciples have been faithful to Jesus' teachings. They're more clueless than faithful. However, they have been faithful to Jesus, to the Word who is Jesus, to the Father's revelation of Himself through the Son. The disciples have hung in there with Jesus through good and through ill. They say in chapter six of, of John's Gospel, You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. The words, the teachings, about eternal life came from the Father who gave them to the Son who has given them to the disciples. And of course they, the disciples, have passed them on to us through the writings that we now know as the New Testament. Jesus also prays for protection from the evil one and says that he's not praying for the world. He's praying for the disciples, not the world. And this seems a, a tad harsh, and heartless it's as if Jesus cares only about his his little band of disciples and doesn't really care much Uh, about anybody else but what we need to realize is that when Jesus speaks of the world he's not talking about planet earth and, and humanity as a whole but of that and those in the world who are opposed to God opposed to the kingdom of God and opposed to eternal life After all, earlier in the Gospel, Jesus declares, doesn't he, that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God, the Father, and Jesus want to embrace the world. The disciples, according to Jesus, are not of the world anymore than he is of the world, and that is because their identity is now in him. Their orientation, however dimly they understand it, is toward the Father and Jesus Christ. And Jesus knows that a hostile world will try to draw them away from him and the Father. And so he prays for unity, a unity of heart and purpose. And that's a unity, I think, which we see beginning to work itself out after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, when we read in the book of Acts, that the believers were one in heart and mind. We see God's plan unfolding. unfolding. And thirdly, Jesus prays that God will sanctify the disciples in God's truth. Now, the word sanctify is a bit of an odd word. We don't really use it very much today. Um, But it means to be made holy, to be set apart for God's service uh, in the world. Jesus has already said that the disciples are not of the world, which is really just another way of saying that they are separate, that they are holy. And just as the Father sent Jesus as a human being into the world in bodily form or or incarnate, so now Jesus sends the disciples out into the world. He's preparing them for their incarnational ministry in a world that will often require them to take up their crosses to face challenging situations with faith, to suffer for the sake of proclaiming and living out the gospel as they follow Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus seems to speak with with great respect and love for this motley band of followers. But what I think is even more extraordinary is that in verse 10, Jesus says, he is glorified in them. It seems astonishing that Jesus would claim to be glorified by these disciples. They're a small and ordinary group. They show no unusual intelligence or particular talent and they seem unable to learn from the numerous hints that Jesus keeps dropping about the future. No matter what Jesus says, they just don't seem seem to get it. So how can Jesus claim to have been glorified in them? Well, I think we have to bear in mind that Jesus' ministry, death and resurrection took place around AD 30, and that John wrote his gospel quite some time later, people think probably around AD 85, probably after most of Jesus' original disciples had died. And of course, in the meantime, the promised Holy Spirit has been given The early church has grown and grown and grown and expanded across the Roman Empire. John can see, looking back with hindsight, through the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus has indeed been glorified by these disciples. Even though they may have had a low opinion of themselves, God has an incredibly high opinion of them because he knows what they will accomplish. And the same is true for us. As I said, Jesus' prayer was not just for the apostles but also for you and me, for those who will believe in me through their message, he says. As much as Jesus bestows on us glory, as he says in John 17, that he received from the Father, we each give him glory 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 has come to me through them it says in verse 10 is that not extraordinary what an extraordinary privilege whilst through faith in jesus as the resurrected son of god we enter into the eternal life which jesus offers jesus in turn has faith in us We may think we're far too like the bumbling apostles, but God, as I said, was at work through them, and he's at work through you. So take heart. And what's more, as we commit our lives to Jesus, or as Jesus says, as we abide in him, as we follow his new way of life, then in addition, Jesus promises that his joy will remain in us and our joy will be made complete And Jesus isn't here speaking of a a passing joy, of a lovely sunset or a good meal or doing a good deed, but rather of the deep, deep joy of knowing and serving the truth. The joy of having one's feet firmly planted on a solid foundation. The joy of knowing our true identity as children of the Father and being, through faith in Jesus, in right relationship with God who we know as Father. So may you be encouraged this morning that you give glory to Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. New talks will be uploaded every week from all of our services. And do check out our website, stjohnshoxton.org.uk, for more information.